in a world searching for answers. God's truth is vital. The Devoted Podcast seeks to answer these questions from God's Word as they share the gospel one listener at a time. Thank you for joining us today. Here are your hosts, Caleb Shaner and Pastor Ben Heffernan. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Devoted Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Shaner, and I'm in the studio with Pastor Ben Heffernan, and we are excited uh, to be in God's Word. I know I say that saying a lot, we're excited at the beginning, but it is very true how exciting it is to be in God's Word and how precious His Word is and um, just so many truths, so many valuable, um, impactful things that we can find in God's Word. And if we allow it to change our hearts, God will change our hearts. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 19. And so as we get ready to get into God's Word, I pray that uh, you would just uh, ask the Lord to speak to you through these uh, devotion episodes and um, that, uh, that you would be um, ready to receive God's Word as we share. And again, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can uh, uh, give shoot us an email and uh, we'll answer your questions as best as we can. Um, but let's get right to it. Uh, Matthew chapter number 19. Uh, Pastor, what are we going to be looking at? Well, I love how we focusing on the Word of God there. You think about this morning in Proverbs. I was reading, it talks about the, the law is a lamp and the commandment is light for our feet. And if we don't have the Word of God, we don't know what we're stumbling. And that's the way most of the world is. They're stumbling in the dark and not even... Uh, knowing what is true and what's not. And God's word just like a light, just shines it for us and, and how valuable and how precious that light is. So we're just jumping here in Matthew 19 and we're reminded that uh, Jesus, the King, as we've seen throughout this, that he is uh, the Messiah, the one who is destined to, to rule and to reign over Israel. And yet we've seen a disturbing trend throughout this gospel that is a... Um, been kind of a foreshadowing of the, the 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 rejection that Jesus is going to face, and and this is where it begins and picks up where Jesus is doing miracles and he's healing, and yet even in the face of this, um, and the great multitudes following, the Pharisees come and they want to tempt him, and they ask him a question that uh, is meant to trip him up, and, and it's it's a it's a difficult question. It's still a divisive question to this day. And uh, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And there was two different schools of thought in that day. And there were those that were on the more conservative side. There was there those on the more lenient side. And uh, there was a lot of, um, you know, animosity between the two groups uh, as to what did the law of Moses say. And so they really wanted to catch Jesus and break up his popularity by having him try to answer this question. And so we can kind of sense that today. I mean, there's an aspect that the church is, uh, you know, divorce is and remarriage is something that's becoming more and more common in, in American mm. churches today. And so that's very disturbing. And uh, not how, is there no easier way to lose popularity than to try to address the subject? <laughs> and yet, as we come through and see what God says, um, we find the refreshment of the light of God upon it. 
And so Jesus takes them back. Um, there's an aspect to which they, they seem to come with the spirit of, uh, what can we get away with? Uh, versus what would really please God? And uh, that's, that's really where he comes back and addresses it to the very beginning with creation, that God made men and women uh, in the beginning and that they were to be married. And the key aspect here is that the two would become one flesh. And so he sees this as God joining together these two people, that they become one. And, and man ought not to put such a divine and beautiful mystical union together. Uh, they should not be uh, you know, dividing it. So very clearly, God's original intent, he never intended for people to be divorced. Um, it's like taking uh, two things together and, and, and trying to break them apart. Um, and if there's glued, you know, there's aspect of, um, I've seen the illustration of, you know, salt and pepper shakers, you know, being glued together. And, you know, once you try to break them in plastic, you know, it's, you might be able to get them apart, but it's not going to be in the same condition that it was before. And uh, so there's an aspect, you're going to have broken lives when you have divorce. And so they raise the question and say, wait a second, if God never intended divorce, then why did Moses give a commandment to give a writing of divorcement? And there's almost a sense in which they were not even understanding the Old Testament. <laughs> Moses was not commanding to give a writing of divorcement. He wasn't, divorce was not commanded in the Old Testament. It was simply permitted and it was regulated. Um, and so it's never a good thing, but God wanted, if, if there was there was an aspect to which sin would take place, um, and, uh, and ultimately through the hardness of their hearts, he allowed certain things so that it would not degenerate into something worse. And uh, But he wants to be reminded, from the beginning, it was not so. God does not want divorce. And so then Jesus gives his word um, on this and says, Whosoever shall put away his wife to accept to be for fornication shall marry another and commit a, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. And so it's a very sobering warning not to, you know, to, to come to, to marriage as if there's some sort of escape clause that I can get out of. That no, I, I'm making a commitment for life, and uh, God is a God who keeps commitments. Uh, he is a God who always is faithful to everything that he's promised. And he's, the marriage covenant is mirrors uh, the covenant relationship that God has made with man. And so this is very significant. And so God hates the breaking of any covenant. And I'm thankful for that because it means he's going to be faithful to his covenant with me. Um, and so I think there's an aspect to which from this we find that Marriage, I believe, will expose what you're living for. When you, you cannot enter into marriage as a selfish, sinful person and experience the joy and the beauty of marriage. Now, there's some, certainly some joys that will outweigh certain things, but after a while and after a time, God's designed it, that my selfishness will begin to damage and hurt that relationship so much that all the joy and all the benefit comes from it. And I have to have a choice. Either I'm going to throw out my selfishness and my sinfulness, and I'm going to pursue God with all my heart, or I'm going to have to throw out the relationship. And that's where many, many people are coming to. They, they feel like we're incompatible. And the reality is, well, there's some truth to that. They are incompatible in the way that they're living, but God wants to transform them. And he's using the marriage aspect 
to expose their own selfish living. And so um, God wants to bring two people and make them one, but that really uh, can only happen when you put God first and you have a, a, a spirit of humility and love that only comes from God. And so the disciples are so shocked by this teaching that they say, well, maybe it's better for someone not to get married. <laughs> uh, that lets us know that if, if our interpretation of the passage is, is wishy-washy and it's not that big, if we don't set a high bar, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't reflect Jesus' words because the disciples understood that Jesus was setting a very high bar. And uh, he responded to them saying, well, if you say it's good for some people not to get married, that, that's not everyone doesn't, you know, can't live by that. And he talks about eunuchs here in this passage where some were impotent and they cannot uh, um, uh, uh, enter into those relationships. And then you have some that were made eunuchs by men, and so they are eunuchs, but not willingly. Uh, and then he talks about some that are made eunuchs or made themselves. Uh, they've given up the opportunity for marriage for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And, and so that's a special gift from the Lord that's a great sacrifice, but not everyone can receive this. And, and, and those who have, um, you know, and, and, and Paul talks about this in Corinthians, that the normal pattern from God is for men and women to get married. And uh, so... This aspect of saying, I need to, somebody say, well, I don't want to get married. I've just seen too many too many marriages fall apart. And I grew up in a pastor's home. I saw <laughs> my dad have to counsel a lot mm -hmm. of families, and uh, I counsel families now in, in, in that aspect. And um, But it I doesn't, doesn't sour my view on marriage, and it just makes me realize how much we need God. We've got to turn to Him in our marriages uh, to see Him transform us and change us in our lives. You agree? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, I think it's interesting as you were talking about the divorce and stuff like that. I decided to look up the divorce rate and and the U.S. and this is not around the world, um, but the numbers are staggering. I mean, the, the, for every it, it's it's forty to fifty percent divorce rate in America mm. today. What's that? Forty to fifty percent of the marriages that happen in, in the U.S. today. In divorce, hmm. that's only the first marriage. Hmm. Then they get to the second marriage, and the rate even goes higher. Yet, seventy to eighty percent hmm. divorce rate on every second marriage, and it hmm. goes higher yet for the third. Hmm. It's just it's a there's a pattern, hmm. you know, and that kind of shows you know to me just like how you said you know that there's there's if you're not going to fix the problem, the problem's just going to go with you. Hmm. If you're not going to get rid of the baggage, if you're not going to burn the sin and let God take care of the sin in your life, then you're just going to keep carrying it with you and keep destroying those that come around you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's, you know, the, the, the Bible talks <clears throat> very strongly against divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, and if you're thinking of yourself and you, and um, you know, you think of just, your own selfish, you know, and, and that's why most most marriages end because one one individual wants something and the other one wants something else, and it's just it's a bunch of take take take, and no one's giving. And next thing you know, they just take enough of that. It's like a game of tug of war with a piece of twine. Mm. You know, you pull on it hard enough and enough stress, the twine breaks. Mm. You know, just like a marriage, you know, you pull on it just enough, eventually it'll break. Mm. And you just, you know, you, you just destroyed 
what God has intended to be beautiful and lovely. You know, and, and whenever you go into that, think of it this way, you meant nothing by your vows if you get a divorce. If it comes down to that, you know, think about those vows, you know, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in good health or in bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it, those vows were created to be a promise, a, just a vow, a connect, a, you know, a, a commitment. Mm-hmm. That is strong. My wife and I, we, uh, you, you officiated our wedding, mm-hmm. so you know, but my wife and I, we did sand mm-hmm. as part of a, of the uh, picture, I guess, of marriage. Mm-hmm. And she had purple and I had orange. And we poured the sand in and we didn't pour it in in layers. You know, she didn't pour hers in and then I poured mine on top. We poured at the same time. So there's little orange and purple particles of sand just throughout this whole jar. Mm-hmm. You, you can't sit there and take each piece, you know, and try to separate each piece. I mean, you probably could if you took, you know, if you really wanted to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But it would take forever. Mm-hmm. But that's how it ought to be. You know, you're pouring, you know, I'm pouring my heart and she's pouring hers into our marriage. Mm-hmm. And therefore it becomes what? One. Mm-hmm. We become one. It's mm-hmm. not two individuals. It's one. Mm-hmm. That's how the Lord wanted it. And, and you know, marriages tend to fall apart too, I've seen, because they've gotten away from, from uh, letting God be the head of their marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've let circumstances in life control the marriage, mm-hmm. control the direction. And they lose control, obviously, because if God's not in control, <laughs> we are, and we usually, as humans, destroy it pretty, you know, we destroy our own lives pretty easy, pretty fast. Yes, we do. And so, you know, just, and so as you look at that, you know, it's, and I think it's interesting, you know, it's not interesting, it's, it's, and so I'm going to be blunt with this one, but in verse number four, it says, have you not read that which, uh, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Yep. I paused for a reason. <laughs> as well as a marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to ruffle some feathers, but that's okay. God created man and male and female. He didn't create a man to be a female and he didn't create a woman to be a male. He didn't create marriage to be between two men or two women. Mm-hmm. He created male and female, mm-hmm. and he created marriage to be between a man and a woman. That's that's it. I mean, that's that's the truth. It's just that simple. I mean, it is. But we but guess what? It, you know, the reason why we we take away from this, I believe. In this, in part of scripture, is because it represents God and the and the you know, and His um, the bride, the church, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ being the groomsman or the groom. It takes away from that picture if we can make it seem like well, there's more genders mm-hmm. because oh God made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We, we, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on the eunuchs part here, 
I heard a preacher say, talk about this as well. You know, you, you, you see um, men and women who don't have a desire to be married. Mm-hmm. Well, the world says, oh, well, then you're looking in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. You must, if you're a man and you're, you know, you don't have that, that, that desire to, to marry a woman, you must be gay. Mm-hmm. Or a woman saying, I don't have a desire to be married. Well, then you must be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. You must like the opposite, se- you know, the, the same sex. Mm-hmm. That's not what that means. Mm-hmm. God has given a special, special place for those that to be single. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and eunuchs, there, there's, there's different terms or different ways you can look at a eunuch. Mm-hmm. There's a term for a eunuch that served in the kingdom <laughs> who was to be who was made celibate or to made to, to not be able to um, procreate. Mm-hmm. And those were to be taken to, to take care of um, the wives and the concubines and things like that. Mm-hmm. And of the King. And then there's eunuchs that are made to, to just be single people, mm-hmm. individuals to not partake in marriage. In the sense of, you know, their their lives are still, they're serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. They love the Lord. But they just don't have, they weren't given that desire to be married. And so it's it's very, you know, and it's, you know, like the Bible says, it's very special. I mean, in my, is that somewhat no, I hadn't thought around that there? No, I think that sounds good to me in terms of, I don't see anything wrong with that. That's what he's talking about. You know, there's a gift here and it's to whom is given, so. Makes sense. So Very good. Yeah, that's uh, and I think when we're talking about marriage, and we're not talking about someone just living together and duking this out and trying to put on a right, put on that. There really is a a happiness, a joy that God intends in marriage. Um, that is uh, the one flesh idea that's so beautiful. It's just an aspect of saying we have to allow God to work on us. And so many times in marriage, we're focused on asking God to work on our spouse. And we really ought to be open to let God changing us. And that takes humility. And uh, there's an aspect to which we talked about last time in Matthew 18, about the humility that's needed for the kingdom of God. And that kind of connects in here with the, the next little episode where the children come. And uh, they, they ask, they want Jesus to lay his hands upon them and pray for them. And the disciples rebuke them. So we have this aspect of Jesus confronts the disciples that their their perspective on marriage is, you know, the, they're just not quite in line with where Jesus is at. He's, they're they're in need of him teaching, of his teaching them, and he tells them, "Suffer the little children, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." So again, it kind of brings us back to what we saw in chapter eighteen of having to become like a little child. And you think about what a child, you know, they they're willing to accept help. When we're talking about little kids, sometimes they'll they'll, re, they'll when they're getting bigger, they say, "No, I'll do it on my own." But a lot of times they're willing. They say, "I'll help you." And they all oh, they they let you help them. They they tend to believe what they're told. They they tend to know their own weakness and they're afraid to be alone. And some of these things are so true for us as as, as spiritual believers. We we've got to be able to be afraid to be alone from God. We want Him to be with us and acknowledge our own weakness and believe what He tells us. Just to have that accepting, humble heart before the Lord. This is what he prizes. 
And then we have the next, and the, the chapter ends on, a, on a, the, the, the rich young uh, ruler comes to, to Jesus and he asked him, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And some have wondered if Jesus is um, somehow teaching works righteousness in this passage. But I, I think a, a thorough examination of scripture um, as a whole helps us understand what Jesus is doing. And he's, he definitely challenges this man. And challenging his thinking, he says, why do you call me good? Because he called him good master at the beginning. He says, there is one that is good, um, and it is God. And so then he answers the next part, but if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. So I don't think Jesus in this passage is denying his own goodness. He just wants to make sure that this man thinks and understands that only God is good. And of course, Jesus being God is good too. But we don't think like that. Most men, if you if you walked up to them and went into knocked on their door or met them in a busy place and you said, "Are you a good person?" I think 80s, 90 percent of the people would say, "Yes, I'm a good person." And that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. And so this man, the problem with him is that he thinks he's good. And so, Jesus, right off the bat, he's 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 challenging him to say, "Don't." There's only one in that category of who's who's good, and we get a hold of that. We won't question God. <laughs> we won't think that somehow when we're praying to Him, we've got to get Him to to twist His arm to do the good thing. He's the only one who wants the good, and I'm the one who has to be tra transformed and changed to be good. Um, and so then He comes back and He says, "Now, if you'll enter the." Keep the commandments. And he says, which one? He said, let me, <laughs> all right, let's not narrow this down. You know the commandments. And he, he lists them off to him. And he says, oh, well, good. Whew, I've, I've kept all these from my youth up. And he says, what lack I yet? And I think there's an aspect to which this man knew that there was something missing. Most people that are lost, they know that something, even though they feel like they've kept commandments and they've done all these things, something is still missing in their life. Jesus, he knew what it was. He was able to address it. And I think there's an aspect that we could, Jesus knew the idol of his life either by his own omniscience because he knew the history of this young man, which is perfectly an acceptance with what God would give him and his knowledge there upon earth. Or it could have just been by observation. Might have been by looking at his clothes. Might have been looking at the necklaces on his neck and said, all right. He could tell that this man was very rich. Maybe the mode of transportation, maybe the guests that came along with him. And uh, Jesus tells him, if you want to have everything, then go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, have treasure in heaven, live for the next world and come and follow me. This is a call to discipleship. Uh, and in that call is the same call that is, is the, the, the requirement for every man is to give up everything else. To follow Jesus is going to cost you your dearest possessions. And it, that is the sacrifice of following Jesus Christ. And he went away sorrowing because he had great possessions. And so he was not willing to give up. He did not have a heart of abandonment to the Messiah. He'd say he'd, he'd be, it was easier for him to try to keep up some commandments and to keep an exterior veneer, but to have a heart sold out to God, to be willing to give up everything and follow Jesus Christ? No, that's where he put the, he, he would not cross that line. And we find that Jesus tells him, oh, a rich man, 
can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven, which would have been so shocking because in the Jewish culture, it was the rich who were considered to be blessed by God. And it was a sign of God's blessing upon them. And here he's saying, well, in some sense, the riches become a hindrance to the kingdom. It makes it impossible. Why? Because they put their trust in their riches and their love in their riches. And if you have a trust in something other than Jesus and you have a love in something other than Jesus, you cannot enter into the kingdom. He was filled with idolatry. And so the disciples, again, in a similar fashion to his teaching on divorce, say, who then can be saved? And he responds to that incredulity and says, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so the reality points to the aspect of salvation is from God, and God can do uh, above what we all can even expect or think. And God can, can bring someone and humble even those that have all the riches to come to see that they need Jesus Christ and they, they don't want, they're willing to give up all. And we have examples in Matthew's gospel of rich followers of, of Jesus who are willing to abandon their prestige and their power for him. And then Peter kind of comes in following and says, well, we've forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And so it's in, in some sense, Peter seems to be sticking his foot in the mouth a little bit <laughs> again. But Jesus doesn't rebuke him in some sense, but he just comes to him and says, in the new age, the regeneration, the son of man, when he sits upon his throne, you're going to rule and reign. There is a reward for those who forsake all and follow him. You're going to rule with Christ and you're going to receive a hundredfold for all that you've lost and all that you've given up for his name and and shall inherit eternal life. And so this is just an amazing promise here of I, I want to live for this reward. <laughs> mm -hmm. It makes me want to step back and say, am I willing to forsake all to follow Jesus Christ? Does he have all my heart? Am I perfect towards him in that sense of wholehearted giving everything? Is there an idol that I'm holding back from the Lord? And so this passage really challenges me and says, where do I fall? I know I've trusted the Lord as my Savior. I'm not in that sense like the rich young ruler, but it does at challenge me to say, is there anything that I'm holding back? I'm not willing to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because I'm not worthy of him in that sense. And so it definitely convicts me. Yeah, I think it's very convicting too because we're in a day and age where success is looked at as who has the most money, hmm. who has the most followers on Instagram, who, who knows personal who has personal ties to celebrities you know things like that mm -hmm. and you know it's if you're not willing to give up all your you know your possessions to follow the lord mm -hmm. then <laughs> we we need you need to take a step back mm -hmm. um you know I, I know in my own personal life it's there's things that you know you hold on to and you can actually hold you can hold your wife your kids mm -hmm. your father and mother before the lord you can have them before like well i need to take care of them i need to before i serve the lord mm -hmm. um you know the lord requires us to give the first fruits of our labor mm -hmm. well he's 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 the only one who's provided you that paycheck he gave you the ability to wake up that morning and the strength to do the work needed and kept you safe mm -hmm. 
and he allowed you to work in a job that gave you a paycheck to provide for the your family. And we ought to give back to him what he's given to us, hmm. the first fruits of our labor, those things that we are given, we ought to give back. Hmm. And sometimes we can look and go, well, I need to put groceries, I need to pay bills. I won't pay tithe. You know, I won't hmm. give my 10% or I won't give back the first fruits of my labor. I'll give him the last fruits because I need to pay for these things first to take hmm. care of my family. Yeah. That's not what he's required. Hmm. He doesn't want the last. He doesn't want the crumbs. Hmm. He wants the first. Mm-hmm. He wants the full basket. Hmm. And whenever we do give him that full basket, we say, Lord, this is yours. It's all yours because you give it to me. Hmm. He then goes, okay, here you go. I'll give you back more than what you've given me. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And, 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 you know, there's times where you sit back and you're like, how can giving my first fruit work like that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't explain it <laughs> mm-hmm. except for that's what God has required. And when we do it out of obedience and out of a heart of joy, mm-hmm. he then says, good, mm-hmm. here you go. I'll give it back plus more, mm-hmm. more than you could ever imagine. And it's, it's, and it may not even be money. Mm-hmm. He may give you something. You may be struggling maybe to fill your pantry, your fridge, and the Lord provides to where you have a full pantry and fridge. Mm. I mean, there's just things that he does. Mm. That's incredible. That is unexplainable, but that only he has Amen. the ability to do. And I think even with money, we, you know, because you hear of people who have money, wealthy people who say, well, I can buy happiness. I can buy my own stuff. Mm. I can do my own things. I don't need what they call Jesus Christ, the crutch. Mm. I don't need that because mm. I can stand on my own two feet. Mm. I don't need Jesus. Mm. And they deny the fact that Jesus gave him that, that ability, that platform, that, that money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that's why he says, <laughs> that's why he said there in 24, you know, I say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. Mm. So, you know, and, and in verse 30 talks about, but as many are, but many uh, that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. There's no placement in heaven. There's only those that serve the Lord. We're all servants of the Lord. Thanks for listening to this episode. Have a good day.